It is five o'clock in Salford this Thursday, the 7th of April 2022. How are you? Are you well? Thanks for finding me. Thank you for locating me again. It's the Richie Allen Show, live out of Salford. I have two very good guests for you today. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. I'll be joined in the second hour by the investor and the academic Melissa Shumay. Uh, She was on the program a few months back. Very interesting lady, very well read and well briefed. She joins me later on. Before that, though, uh, Tony Gosling will be with me live from Bristol to run down a few of today's more important stories, or at least some of the things you are not being told about those stories. It's the Richie Allen Show. It's live. You can comment live via my website, richieallen.co.uk. Yes, I had to do something there that I'd forgotten to do, hence the extended intro theme tune. <laughs> I had to buy myself a moment, just a little moment. I forgot to upload my bullet points. I just had to switch them from one computer to another. I like to be honest with you, you know, and tell you the truth. That's what I did. I feel like a bit of an Egypt. There's an end of term feel around BBG Towers today, but that's no excuse for making stupid mistakes, you baldy bastard. There's no need for it. Um, Been a mixed bag of a day. We've had heavy showers today here in Salford. We've had a bit of sunshine peeping through. We've had a bit of everything, but hey, we're alive. That's all that matters. What was I going to tell you? Straight out of the gate, what was I going to tell you? I was going to start with something I've never done before. I was going going to start with a tabloidy type of story. Just made me giggle. For no good reason. Did you ever find yourself laughing at something that you wouldn't ordinarily be tickled by? I was watching or reading the BBC website this afternoon and a story appeared about baby names in Scotland and the Scottish islands of Arran. Now, Scotsmen and women, you're going to have to help me out with the pronunciation. So the island of Arran, that's pretty straightforward. The next one is spelled U-I-S-T. Is that Uist or is it Weist? Uist or Weist? U-I-S-T. The other one is Tiree. T-I-R-E-E, but that might be Tyree. I'm not sure my geography is as abysmal as everything else. I'm about as useful as teats on a bore, today anyway. But these names are showing up. I love it. It's really chav-tastic, isn't it? It's a chav-tastic thing to do, to give your child an exotic name. 
But you know, you're condemning the poor little bollocks for the rest of his or her life to say a thousand times a month, I'm named after an island. I'm named after an island off the west of Scotland. Or is it the east of Scotland? Anyway, and Jack remains the most popular boy's name in Scotland. 14 years in a row, it's top of the pops up there in sweaty Sockland. That's a bit silly, isn't it? It's the last name in the world you'd give a boy is Jack, knowing that everybody else is doing it. Anywho, how do I pronounce U-I-S-T? Is it Weast or is it Tyree? I have no idea. Lovely. Baby names, Baldy, huh? Is El Frogo up the duff? No, no. You have to have sex to be up the duff these days. At least that's what I read anyway. When we go to the bedroom for good old-fashioned relations, the little bollockses, a.k.a. the dogs, cry outside the door. You can't have sex with them in the room. If you lock them downstairs, they start howling. It's a passion killer. You know, it always ends in, love, take off that nurse's uniform and uncuff me and we'll go downstairs and let them out. What kind of fuckery are you? No, Nemi, there's no fuckery going on. The uncuff me bit was a gag, by the way. Yeah, right, Baldy. Okay, let's move on. That's the level. That's the tone that I lower it to. Smutty, crappy, carry-on camping garbage. That's what you pay for. Anyway, the NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg Stop! There's a light flashing which is annoying me. Uh, Jens Stoltenberg has been speaking this afternoon from Brussels. He said I'm going to recap very briefly. We'll be getting into some of this with the journalist Tony Gosling later. He said NATO allies utterly condemn the horrific murders of civilians in Bucha and other places. He supports efforts for an international investigation. He wouldn't give details of weapons supplied to Ukraine, but he said NATO allies were providing a wide range of weapons, including Soviet-era and modern weapons. He said any distinction between offensive and defensive, or defensive, as we say, this side of the pond, he said any distinction between offensive and defensive weapons is strange because Ukraine is defending herself. NATO is stepping up its support for Ukraine over cybersecurity. NATO will help other nations like Georgia and Bosnia-Herzegovina to shore up their resilience. He said there was a clear message from today's meeting that allies are ready to do more to provide more military equipment. And he warned that the world must be prepared for the long haul and the war could last for months or even years. Now, if you use richieallen.co.uk sometimes, you will have seen today that Germany's Foreign Intelligence Service is claiming that it intercepted communications amongst or between Russian soldiers, and those communications basically prove that Russian soldiers massacred civilians in Bucha, and they did that to terrorise the Ukrainian population. This is Germany's Foreign Intelligence Service, the BND. Uh, it heard messages from Putin's forces, according to the Mail Online and Reuters and others, discussing the brutal murder of civilians. We will speak with Tony Gosling about that a little bit later on. It's eight minutes past the hour. 
Now, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, is facing calls to come clean, come clean on his family's financial affairs. His wife benefits from the non-dom tax savings scheme, non-domiciled. It means she doesn't have to pay UK tax on income that she earned abroad. She's an Indian woman. She's an Indian woman. She earns money elsewhere, doesn't have to pay tax on it in the UK. She would, of course, have to pay tax on it in whichever country she earned it. Right. This is Akshata Murthy. She earns money from shares in an Indian software company founded by her billionaire daddy. She's got a rich daddy. Now, her spokeswoman said she pays all her due taxes in the UK. The Labour Party is calling for complete transparency. Here's Labour leader Keir Starmer. A Chancellor who says to the British public that he will tax them, he's introduced 15 tax rises. And he says all of this is necessary, there's no option. If it now transpires that his wife has been using schemes to reduce her own tax, then I'm afraid that is breathtaking hypocrisy. Breathtaking hypocrisy, says Keir Starmer. Under the non-DOM status rules, you or anybody else can be granted status, non-DOM status, if you live in the UK, but if you intend to return to your home country. Now, Akshata Murthy is an Indian and her citizen and her, 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 her family, she has family ties in India. The BBC understands she has said she would eventually like to return there. Now, it works like this. If she lived in the UK for 15 years, she would automatically lose the non-DOM status. She has declined to say when it came into effect. There you are. Muppets on Twitter. Ignoramai. Is ignoramai the plural of ignoramuses? We live in a post-fact, post-truth world where people can feel strongly about something and as long as they feel strongly, well, sure, that must be true. Don't do any research, like. Did you see those dickheads on Twitter blaming Tony Blair for non-dom rules? One guy who should know better came in in 1997. No, it didn't. It came in in 1799 to protect colonial investments. <laughs> In 1799. Yeah. Apparently they found a dinosaur leg from ground zero, the Gulf of Mexico. Did you see that today? It's interesting. There's a lovely photograph of it on the BBC website. A nearly perfectly preserved leg with shrapnel from the aftermath of the meteor that hit us, what was it, 66 million years ago, the meteor hit and wiped out the dinosaurs. The dinosaurs were unlucky, of course. They didn't have Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck back then to get them out of the shite. It's hard to know what to believe, really. I love the Christians who believe that man and dinosaur were on the earth together 3,000 years ago. <laughs> but then... Yeah, you can. You can abuse me if you want. What are you laughing at, Paulie? What do you know? The answer is I know nothing. I'm, I'm certain that we didn't have we didn't have dinosaurs around about the time the baby Jesus was playing in the Garden of Eden. Or I'm just making it up now. It's twelve minutes past the hour. That's what it is. I mentioned on the website today that you might need a pinch of salt handy when you hear this. A Swedish study claim, claims. <coughs> 
Let me swallow there. A Swedish study claims, careful now, that um, if you get COVID-19, yeah, um, you have an increased risk of developing a serious blood clot even for six months after the infection. What kind of fuckery is this? Yeah, I think it's fuckery really. This research claims that people with severe COVID and those infected during the first wave had the highest clot risk. Yeah, and, and it's, it holds up today, apparently. If you get the COVID thing, for six months thereafter, you are at risk, more risk than ever, of developing a clot. I wonder, has it anything to do with the fact they're asking children to take these jabs? Has it got anything to do with the fact they're asking seniors and vulnerable people to have their fourth and even their fifth jabs? I reckon it might, but I can't prove that. Right, we're going to be giving the jabs now to the older people and the clinically vulnerable, four and five. We we, we think, right, that the jabs might give, give a few clots to people. What should we do? I know. Why don't we commission a study that comes out and says that if you've had COVID-19, you, you are at greater risk of blood clots. Well done. Well done, Bill. Well done. You're welcome, Klaus. You're welcome. I bet you George will be happy when he hears this wonderful bit of numb fuckery going on there. But I don't fall for it. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. What do you think, RichieAllen.co.uk? It stinks. It stinks is what it does, you know. It stinks. Oh. What is it now? 14 minutes past the hour. Tony Gosling and Melissa Shoemade, the guests on Thursday's Richie Allen radio show. It is being announced today. It has been announced that hospitals are under enormous strain. With growing numbers of hospitals becoming so busy, they're needing to divert ambulances to other sites because they cannot cope. Over the past week, 20 NHS accident and emergency departments in England issued diverts. That sounds like quite a lot. Patients being taken elsewhere. Now those A and D departments still taking new patients have seen long delays with more than 25% of ambulances waiting at least 30 minutes to hand over the patients. So... NHS is saying, the bosses of these hospitals are saying, we're very, very concerned. So it's happening around the country, but NHS bosses in West Yorkshire and the south central area of England, covering Hampshire, the Isle of Wight, Oxfordshire and Berkshire, well, they've reported particularly severe strain. They're blaming it on the high number of COVID patients currently in hospital. However... They are lying because more than half of those in hospital testing positive for COVID are there for something else. Even the BBC admits this. They've also claimed today that flu, after two years, that's influenza to you and to me, has made a comeback. Wow. Yeah. It's made a comeback. Flu and other respiratory Respiratory, respiratory illnesses have shown their ugly mugs again. 
I don't think you need to panic about lockdowns just yet. I'm not sure they're going to pull the trigger on lockdowns. Speaking of lockdowns, a professor was speaking, a professor of microbiology was speaking to Julia Hartley-Brewer this morning on Talk Radio. It's, what's the guy's name again? Hang on. Hang on. I'll tell you now. If you bear with me a moment. Don't go anywhere. It's the microbiologist Professor David Livermore. Julia Hartley-Brewer asked the professor, why, why are scientists so stubborn? Why can't they just admit that lockdowns were no good whatsoever and in fact did more harm than good in the long run? David Livermore. I think there is a real problem. Science, as I've always pursued it and always has un- understood it, is an experimental discipline that you come up with a hypothesis, you test that hypothesis by experiment or observation, you're proven right or you're proven wrong. But this concept of the science yeah. has become like a holy catechism. It's, it's yeah. more like a religion than anything to do with what science is and should be. Yeah, uh, indeed. And I find that incredibly disturbing. And many people in science, like me, likewise find it uh, highly disturbing. And a lot of people aren't as brave as you and speaking out, because we've seen those who have spoken out about this and wanting, and again, not with just one particular viewpoint, but just saying, can we just look at the evidence, please? What is the evidence for this policy? What is the evidence against this policy? You know, what, what is the new data telling us? Have been, as we know, castigated and, and um, their careers threatened. And a lot of people aren't speaking out publicly. So I do massively appreciate people like you who have been willing to do so. But let me also talk to you about what's happening in China. Shanghai, a city of 26 million people. Originally, the plan was for the Chinese authorities who are still pursuing this insane zero COVID policy to, have, to lock down half of the city for five days and the other half for another five days while they tested everybody to find out um, how much COVID was around. Um, They found, (laughs) what a surprise, given Omicron, an awful lot of COVID. So they've locked everyone in their homes indefinitely. There's no end date to the lockdown, including separating children from their families. So if a child is uh, COVID positive, they get taken away to a unit, even, even babies. Um, from their family. Um, they've, they've, they've now said some babies with special needs might not be taken away, but otherwise thousands of children taken away. What do you make of what China is pursuing here? Before we hear the answer from David Livermore, it is terrible, isn't it? What's happening in China, in Shanghai? Isn't it dreadful? Imagine living through that. Here's David Livermore. It's, it's a lost cause. We can see the direction of evolution of COVID, that Alpha was more transmissible than the original Wuhan strain, Delta more transmissible than Alpha, Omicron more transmissible still. So this model of zero COVID, which Australasia followed for a while, which Taiwan, South Korea followed, and China has uh, followed most stringently of anybody, gets harder and harder over time. And most places have had the good sense to abandon it. But China remains wedded to it, I think partly for reasons of pride and partly also because although she's vaccinated extensively, the vaccines that she's used are killed virus vaccines, which the Hong Kong data says are less effective at preventing death than the the, the messenger RNA vaccines that have largely been used here. David Livermore speaking to Julia Hartley Brewer. Now I'll be talking alleged war crimes with Tony Gosling shortly. Bucha and all of that, the Germans, the Germans, saying we heard conversations, we intercepted them, we heard Russian soldiers talking about it openly 
what happened in Bucha. Russia says this is nonsense. Do you know the truth? I certainly do not know the truth. I don't know if Tony Gosling does, but he will have an interesting take on it, no doubt. But today, Sky News has said it can verify footage which appears to show Ukrainian soldiers, Ukrainian soldiers, shooting a a wounded or an injured Russian. Several people shooting him dead. Let's uh, hear from Sally Lockwood at Sky News. What's going on with that? Well, Sky News has verified uh, this uh, video, which uh, was shot in a town uh, west of Ukraine's capital, Kyiv. And it appears to show uh, an injured soldier in military uniform with white markings commonly uh, worn by uh, Russian troops. Uh, Now, the soldier is on the ground uh, and is then shot a number of times while on the floor. And this video, the question of this video, which suggests that this uh, shooting was carried out by a member of the Ukrainian military, uh, was put to Ukraine's foreign minister uh, here in Brussels a short time ago. Now, he said that he hasn't actually seen the video himself, uh, but he did say that Ukraine would investigate any allegations of wrongdoing and gave a rather emotional uh, response in terms of what Ukraine has been through. Have a listen. Yeah, it's Dmitro Kuleba or Kuleba, Dmitro Kuleba. He's Ukraine's foreign minister, right? Uh, I haven't seen it. I heard about it. I want to uh, reassure you that Ukrainian army uh, observes the rules of warfare. Um, There was, of course, there might be uh, isolated incidents of the violation of these rules and they will be definitely investigated. And that's all he says. And for the moment, I'm going to um, finish the news roundup with this. I want to thank Caroline. That I think it's Caroline Feely on my website. If I'm wrong and it's someone else, a thousand, a thousand apologies. This is um, quite staggering, really. It's the Victorian, the Victorian, as if you know him. You might, you might not know him. In the state of Victoria in Australia... A member of the Victorian Parliament called Bernie Finn yesterday read a letter aloud in Parliament from a constituent who shared with him a worksheet given to their 10-year-old daughter at school. It's quite disturbing, really. So Mum gets in touch with Bernie Finn, the MP in Victoria, and says, you won't believe the worksheet they gave to my 10-year-old daughter. Here's Bernie Finn. Just in case some people listening to shows like this think that we exaggerate. I am absolutely shocked. I thought I'd, I thought I'd seen everything. Uh, but this one um, is, um, is uh, just, just beyond words. Uh, it is a, a, a note from a constituent who says, Hi Bernie, this is a worksheet that my 10-year-old daughter brought home from school. And it includes a photo of the worksheet. Part of her homework was to discuss with her father his erections and ejaculation. I find this very disturbing and sickening, as indeed do I, I have to say. I have complained to the school and was told it was just part of the curriculum. Can you advise who else I should make a complaint to? Well, I could go on for days uh, who she could complain to. My daughter still plays with dolls and writes letters to the tooth fairy. There is no way any little girl should be told to ask these questions. Well, so say all of us. 
What the hell is going on in this state when 10-year-old girls are told to go home and talk to your father about his erections and about his ejaculations? What the hell is going on here? How the hell are we supposed to protect our kids when this sort of perversion is in our schools? This is what is being dished up to them on a daily basis in a primary school. Not even a secondary school, a primary school. This is just unbelievable. It's staggering. I could not imagine the reaction. I have three daughters. I could not imagine the reaction of any of them if they were told to, to, to do that. They would be traumatised for life. I don't think they'd ever recover. I'm not sure I'd ever recover. It's child abuse, isn't it? This is... Let's be honest about it. The, the teacher who presented the worksheet should be arrested. That's child abuse. To be talking to a 10-year-old about erections and ejaculations and, and to go home and ask your father about that, that's child abuse. I, it's, the, it's the definition of child abuse for me. This is just deplorable. This is just deplorable. And it seems to me to be a part of the ongoing war by the Andrews government against children in particular, in this state. I wonder, does he know, Bernie Finn, that it isn't a war by, waged by the government? I wonder, does he have any idea that this is going on in most so-called first world countries? Most Western countries, so-called democracies, this is happening, this is lockstep, this is what we mean. I wonder, does he know that? Let kids be kids. A 10-year-old girl should not be exposed to this sort of material. I think, I think it is deplorable. It is deplorable. And I challenge anybody, anybody, just ask yourselves here tonight, would you be happy if you had a 10-year-old and she was told to go home to talk to her dad about his ejaculation and his erections? He doesn't go on to, to announce whether anyone has gone to the school. You'd like to think the police would go around the school and ask what the hell is going on. I would like to think the mother of the daughter, the mother of the young girl, had taken her out of there. You know, I've always said this, if we had or if we are in the future blessed with children, they wouldn't set foot inside uh, the front door of a school. And you know, my primary school days, I remember them very, very fondly. You know, I have told you, I'm not contradicting myself in the past, that I had a difficult childhood. I did, a very, very difficult childhood. But I enjoyed my primary school time. I really did. There was none of this, obviously. Most of it was learning how to read and write in English and in Irish and to do basic mathematics, arithmetic. A lot of the rest of the time we were outdoors running around. How has it come to that? Um, maybe something will happen. I don't know who this guy is, if he's got any real clout, if he's an independent. I have no idea who Bernie Finn is. This is The Richie Allen Show. It is Thursday, the 7th of April, 2022. And this is George Ezra. Back with Tony Gosling next. George Ezra, Paradise on The Richie Allen Radio Show, 29 minutes past five. Welcome to it. It is good to be with you. Comment through richieallen.co.uk. It is comment live. I'm not going to give you the big preamble. You know Tony Gosling is a terrific radio presenter and journalist, formerly of the BBC. Welcome back, my friend. Thanks for coming on. How are you? Earth calling Tony Gosling. Are you there? 
we are connected, but I'm not hearing T. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. We'll have to disconnect the call and reconnect if something has gone terribly wrong. Obviously, otherwise we would have heard his chirpy tones. Let's try him again and see does it work this time. Yeah, please do drop a comment in. Remember, a little bit later on this evening, Melissa Shumay will join the Richie Allen Show. Tony, we're hearing nothing. I wonder if the gentleman has his microphone muted by, by, by happenstance. You might have your microphone muted, Tony. No, ah, hello. Can you ah, hear me now? There you are. There yeah, you so are. Uh, it's just that Skype has. Uh, well, I shouldn't blame the equipment. No. No. Uh, it's just that it was. It decided to try and pick up my uh, microphone on my laptop, which doesn't exist for some reason. So I had to maneuver it. You yeah. are, anyway. You have an old laptop then, like myself. I do. Like myself. Um, right. Let's let's kick off the German. We're going to talk about Butcher. The German Foreign Intelligence Agency says it has tapes, intercepts of Russian soldiers discussing the alleged crimes in Bucha. It's open and shut now. The Russian military slaughtered civilians in Bucha. The Germans say so. End of story. Tony. You mean NATO say so? Uh, NATO uh, itching to get into this fight. Uh, They're really, I mean, they're pouring weapons into Ukraine. Uh, I don't know if you've You've ever seen the um, the the um, uh, John Borman film Zardoz, with the giant animated god that floats through the sky, uh, that uh, is from the elite, and uh, to the peasants below it showers down weapons, uh, to, and I feel that's a little bit like NATO. What NATO is doing to the Ukrainians, it's saying, well, you know, you've got one of the biggest superpowers in the world fighting you, but we can make sure. Uh, that you win, even though you can't win, by just pouring more and more weapons into your hands. And I wouldn't trust anything that any of the NATO intelligence services say whatsoever about this. I was just listening to a recording from James Files, who was a Chicago mob hitman, allegedly in uh, Dallas in 1963 to kill Kennedy, who talks about the relationship between the mob and the intelligence services. Well, he says the mob is like goldfish in the shark's pool, the intelligence services, the government are far, far more devious, more powerful than we ever were in Chicago. And and I think that's we, we, we cannot believe a word that's coming out of the um, uh, Western press right now, and particularly the intelligence services. As I uh, interviewed a chap a few weeks ago on my program, uh, he's explaining how many of the people now involved in our uh, broadcast media are um, they are ex forces you know they're people who've worked in psychological operations uh, some of them are actually reservists in the army could be called up any time uh, so of course they're nothing to do with the army only they are they've been trained in psychological warfare who are you talking and about then- now are you talking about the recurring guests like tobias elwood and tom tugendhat and all of these types of people well no i'm talking about producers, producers. i'm talking about research well i would imagine you know the fixers uh, people who set up interviews uh, I mean, the, 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 the guy I spoke to, uh, he runs his own a strategic communications company, Sven Hughes. And uh, he, he explained to me, well, lots of my ex-army colleagues, because he was trained by the British Army, and then he was tapped on the shoulder, given a, a zero on the end of his salary and told, come and work for the private sector, fixing elections and this sort of thing. And uh, and he, he explained to me that the reservists in the army... Uh, many of them are now sitting in studios doing jobs like I uh, wanted to do. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, I was when I was w- working as a researcher and as a journalist, 
I wasn't really aware of the armed forces being no. sitting next to me and in the similar job. But that, that sounds like embedding. Things work now. That sounds like embedding. But before we talk more about that, mm. the I I don't see the Russians as the good guys and the West as the bad guys. I see them all as the bad guys and soldiers are trained murderers. The humanity is trained out of them. And then they're built into, basically built back up into people that can fire a weapon on somebody standing 15 feet in front of them. Why are you so convinced that the Russians didn't, as they were leaving Bucha, you know, or, or that some of them weren't so depressed with everything that was going on that they didn't take it out on the citizens of Bucha? Why are you so convinced that, that this is a lie? Because I don't, I think for many of those Russian soldiers, they are much happier uh, doing doing the sort of mission that they've done, which is a kind of soft invasion. That is to say, they're not interested in 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 killing any civilians at all, even though, of course, they're you know they're the soft targets that the Nazis might well be using here in for false flags. But how do you know this? And, I'm challenging you because you de- because yeah. you deserve it. How do you know that these soldiers have have know, no interest in, ki- have, in killing civilians? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there. Good man. And, and of course, this will have to be properly investigated. It hasn't been at all properly investigated by the Western press. In fact, the British stopped that happening at the UN Security Council on Monday, which they should have allowed uh, a meeting to share evidence uh, to actually. I mean, I think the main reason this is this is uh, if you really want the reason the, um, the I don't think the Brits, uh, uh, you know, uh, or the Russians would have done something like this. Just look at what this uh, Russian invasion has entailed. They haven't been charging into the cities, as you would expect if they wanted to take over the country. That What they've been doing is they've been, for example, with Kiev virtually encircling the place. They want to try and draw out the Ukrainian army to fight them outside the cities. They really don't want to be involved in these what are potentially, as has happened in Mariupol, horrific city firefights. They're, they're trying, I think, the same sort of tactics as, as the Syrian Arab army used down in Syria a few years ago to get rid of ISIS. You know, they don't want to take back their own country and kill all the civilians. Of course they don't. That's what ISIS want. That's why they're embedded with the civilian population, using them as human shields. If you just look at the, you know, the deployment of where these troops are, where these Russian troops are, they haven't gone in all guns blazing to take over the country. What they seem to have done is go, first of all, for all of the nearby uh, bio-warfare labs, Pentagon-funded, so that they could gather evidence there, and also to take out any possibility of the Ukrainian Air Force getting into action. Now, before you uh, carry on, hang on. These bio-warfare labs, I was very interested, just as you were, when the Russians made these claims. But I haven't seen any evidence. Where are the photographs? The Russians haven't published them. Where are they? The photographs and the videos of these bio-labs. Evidence is the evidence. Uh, well, it's uh, Diliana Kadashova, I think, has done the best job in compiling the evidence. You can go and have a look at the documents, the contracts, uh, you know, signed in the United States on and which is published under Freedom of Information Acts over there, uh, where you can see the US government contracts to do bio warfare and to even to, you know, staff the labs, the programs that were going on in the labs. She's dug out much of this. Her, her name is almost impossible to spell. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you'll find her. Uh, she's um, a Bulgarian journalist who was sacked from her job in mainstream media, uh, like so many of us, uh, you know, uh, these days. And she's she's uh, she was sacked for uncovering the uh, pipeline of weapons from the United States going to ISIS. 
through Eastern Europe. And uh, some of it was, yeah, I mean, basically she exposed, she, she, what she did is she filmed in the ISIS uh, weapons depots over in Syria and uh, she just she started writing down serial numbers. She was photographing the weapons and actually getting documentation from the shipping firm and getting photographs of that to show, to prove this was a U.S. operation. In fact, inside uh, Ukraine, inside yeah, Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, but 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 yeah. So but she has dug out the evidence um, for for uh, the Ukrainian biolab, done a fantastic job on it. But of course, we haven't had any of that reported over here. So, I mean, it just seems to me that this uh, whole gap of two days between when the Russians pulled out and when, oh, look, all these poor civilians here have been shot, you know, by Russians, executed by them. This is exactly the sort of thing that uh, is 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 the modus operandi of NATO intelligence services, this is what they do. And I would not at all be surprised if it wasn't even the Ukrainian Nazis that were responsible for this as a false flag. It could even be uh, uh, other other NATO-friendly intelligence services going in and doing these sorts of operations because they seem to be running. They know that they can't win on the ground, I think, that, that NATO and Ukraine, but they can win a propaganda war. And that's, I think, why I'm so suspicious about, you know, the claims made and also the British reaction. They didn't want to investigate it at the UN. All they were interested in doing was uh, do letting it dominate the news, grab the headlines for a few days, and then hopefully everyone will forget about it thinking it was the Russians. And there's going to be a vote sometime today at the UN on whether to remove Russia from the uh, Human Rights Council. Now, I, I, I do, there's so much news this week that's of huge interest to you personally to you because of your own journey as a journalist. So I want to talk about Jimmy Savile in a minute. But before that, I wanted to ask you, where does Hunter Biden's, this is Joe Biden's son, the, the US president, where does his laptop fit into this story about biolabs in Ukraine? Well, I think in a way the laptop is a bit of a diversion because although there is loads of damning evidence about his criminal activity over there and the fact that his dad protected him, I, I, I used on the last week's show the I think it's about a minute long clip of Hunter, Bi uh, sorry, of Joe Biden back in the day, back in, I think it was 2015, uh, recorded maybe 2016, recorded uh, at the Council on Foreign Relations, explaining, basically boasting about uh, having got the chief prosecutor who was about to prosecute his son Hunter Biden sacked uh, it because he was threatening to withdraw a $1 billion loan to Ukraine. He said, well, look, you know, if you don't sack the prosecutor, you're not going to get the billion dollars. This is Joe Biden, the now president, talking about this. So I think, it, you know, what there is, the evidence that there is, is that this country has been controlled by the US. The senior, I mean, the chief prosecutor is one of the most important people in the country. That is to say, the person who can, uh, the government can get the government to prosecute people or not. And the idea that that Joe Biden was the guy that got him sacked to protect his son's criminal activities in Ukraine shows you who's running the show. It's money people and it's the United States. And the Ukraine has never been an uh, independent uh, sovereign country at all since the uh, Maidan coup in 2014, where um, the, uh, the riot police who were so-called behind the killings were exonerated. It was snipers brought in by NATO intelligence services that killed some of the police and the demonstrators 
In fact, they killed their own people, didn't they? We didn't hear much about that on the BBC in order to take the country over. Uh, and that's now absolutely on the record, you know, in history it will be. But, it, of course, none of this is discussed in our mainstream press, which is what I mean about this being, I think, a propaganda war. Mainly, a bl I would call it a blitz, a propaganda blitz. And another thing from yesterday is uh, is the incredible... Um, I mean, I really laughed out loud in the car when I heard it. It was Rowan Williams saying that the Ukrainian... Uh, sorry, no, that the Russian Orthodox Church should be expelled from the World Council of Churches. Right, well, OK, the Orthodox Church is the mother church of the Catholic Church and then the Protestant Church and the nonconformists and the Pentecostals and everybody, right? So they were there before every, anybody else. 1154 was the split with the Catholics and the Orthodox is the oldest church on the planet. And there is Rowan Williams, who absolutely openly, publicly, became a druid and he's was filmed doing it and he is you know there he was as the archbishop of canterbury and a druid a druid telling the orthodox church that they can't be part of the world christian community well what a joke and uh you know he's this is what i mean about propaganda these people are wheeled out they're given a script and stupidly they think nobody will notice what they're up to but this is just a russophobia and the reason they hate the russians is because the russians are prepared to stand up to the united states and they're not going to be pushed around and bullied around i think putin's done an amazing job over the last 20 years basically ingratiating himself to them doing things like you know getting on down with the world economic forum etc uh, and in the meantime behind uh, the scenes he's been building up his military in order to defend his people from what well, is effectively a Western mafia state, uh, which we're living in now over here. I agree with the latter part of that Western mafia state. I'm still not sure about Vladimir Putin, but that doesn't matter. It's a really interesting stuff. Well, Tony it Gossett. doesn't matter what we think, actually. It doesn't matter at all because his approval ratings over the last six weeks or so have gone up from 60 to 70 percent in Russia. Yeah, I don't Can mean in terms imagine? of approval. I don't Can mean... you imagine a US president or a, any British prime minister with a 70 percent approval rate? No, I can't. Rating? I can't remember a Western politician with, with such high... Well, the reason, the reason for it is, is everyone in Russia, nobody over here knows this, but everyone in Russia knows that for the last eight years, Putin has been holding back and holding back on this, um, you know, he's going in to support the Russian-speaking people in Lugansk and Donetsk, the breakaway Ukrainian republics. Putin is the guy. Everyone's been saying, come on, we've got to go and help those people. They're being bombed. They're being bombed. So this is the press over there, in uh, the particularly the Communist Party in the Duma, the main opposition have been saying, what are you doing, Putin? You, you know, you've got to get some troops over there to defend them. And he's been saying, no, 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 we don't want a confrontation with the West. And, and now he's finally said, yes, we're going to have to go in and do something. He, because he's been holding back for eight years, he's got much, much more public approval uh, and much more public support than he probably would have had if, if they'd have gone in in 2014 to support them. So I think he's a very astute politician and he's only gone into this very reluctantly. I don't believe the press over there and the posters over there any more than I do here. And what I was getting at was, I believe, and I'm not stubborn about this, I don't, I'm not steadfastly clinging on to my opinions. I never do that. I don't care about being wrong. But I do believe that the, the forces that want to take us down this path of totalitarianism 
they have as much control over the Russian government as they do over Western. Now, I could very well be wrong, but that's how I th- that's the point I was trying to make. Um, okay, and before we get off uh, Ukraine, I'll give you the sorry, final word. But, but I, I want I just want I just want to make this point. Yeah, we're, we're going to we're, obviously we're going to six o'clock, but we're going to finish at six hard today, sadly. Okay, yep. but, but and I do want to talk, Savile, because I can't wait to hear yeah. what, what what your thoughts. But listen, you have the last word on Russia. Then go ahead. Well, I've had a couple of guests recently, Richie, who have really, uh, you know, both have blown my mind in their own way. First of all, uh, it's a guy called Greg Felton who wrote a book about the Israeli-U.S. relationship called The Host and the Parasite. He's a Vancouver-based journalist. And what he said to me, I think, was, I mean, I, I, I just thought, well, well, do I dare even think this? What he's saying is that the whole, all the provocations to do with getting the Russians to come into Ukraine, that is to say, threatening to get nuclear weapons, as Zelensky did the weekend before the Russians came in. I mean, this is an obvious, you know, red rag to a bull, isn't it? Or a bear in this case. And and it, there is, there's so many other things that they were doing, like constantly shelling Donetsk and other Russian-speaking parts of the country. Uh, the absolute, you know, the out-and-out Nazi parades going on in Ukraine. Look, the Russians can't turn a blind eye to this forever, 300 miles from Moscow. Of course they can't. And, and, and also the, you know, the fact that they tried to make a peace deal very hard. Back in uh, Christmas, this was a, in the news over Christmas, the Russians want to make a peace deal for Eastern Europe. The West just ignored them, sent back the piece of paper. You know, well, not interested, mate. Well, they have to have some sort of negotiation now. Uh, he's kind of forced that. But anyway, what Greg was saying is that he thinks that uh, the Israelis are behind this. Well, I mean, I'm not totally sure if he's right, but it's an interesting theory because uh, we're not supposed to criticise Israel. You know, you get thrown out of the political parties and things like that and kicked off of the as a journalist if you say things like that. He reckons that the Russian support for Syria uh, over the last, well, it's, it's about it's a roughly the same time, isn't it? I think the Russians went into Syria about 2015, so that's about seven years ago has really annoyed the Israelis because they were hoping to, you know, control Syria and to balkanize the Middle East. The Russians have put a big spanner in the works for the Israelis and the Americans' plans for the Middle East, the Yinon plan, the balkanization plan, so that Israel can expand its borders, which is what they really want to do. So that's what he's saying, is that this is just a, a kind of proxy war with the NATO and the US doing these things because of the power of the Israel lobby which I think is an interesting theory. It's an interesting theory. It. I don't buy it, though. Well, have a listen. Have a listen. He I'll does go listen into detail him, yeah. as to why he thinks it is. And his name's Greg Felton. You'll find him, uh, you know, on one of my past shows about three weeks ago. Go so. to thisweek.org.uk. Check out the Not BCFM Politics Show with Tony Gosling. It's live every Friday out of the, Bristol. It's a terrific is, show. I mean... The Israel lobby is mega powerful. Oh, it is, of course. Uh, yeah, but... I'd be, I'm chatting to someone tonight, interviewing him for, for tomorrow's show about the uh, Israel lobby's takeover of the Palestine Solidarity Campaign in here in the UK. Tomorrow at that. five o'clock, Tony Gosling. Now, the Jimmy, anyway, Sa- the so Jimmy Savile the documentary. One... Let, me, let, me, let, let, me, let me intro this. I haven't seen the second and final part of it, a three-hour split into yeah. two parts documentary. Uh, Jimmy Savile. Uh, is it the Jimmy Savile, a British horror story or something along those lines? Watched the first one last night. I have to say, some of the archive footage absolutely gobsmacking. 
absolutely gobsmacking. The questions thrown up by this documentary, the letters, obviously the letters is the big headline, but it's far more deeper than the letters between Charles and Jimmy Savile. I come at it from two angles, Tony, and then I'll shut up and get your thoughts on it as time is disappearing. I look at it two ways. Either Savile wanted to be caught because of all the clues he kept dropping in to interviews and live television appearances and public appearances, or... Uh, the guy was so arrogant, so convinced of his own infallibility, so convinced that he was high enough off, uh, high enough up even, that he was untouchable, that he could say what he wanted. I don't know which is uh, true, but I have to say, I didn't think it would be a great watch. It was compelling. What, what do you think of it? Well, I didn't see it, Richie, but uh, I will tell you what I make of uh, how this all came out. I think historically, for hundreds of years, these kinds of characters have been hanging around the royal family and the British establishment um, with impunity. Because of the advent of the internet, um, the ability to keep the lid on things like this. So, for example, you know, there's a, a Stephen Knight's book on Jack the Ripper is fascinating about the idea that uh, that was all connected to the Freemasons and the royal family. But uh, if the internet had been around back in those days, we might well have seen that story come to light. It, you know, as it happened, you know, back in the 1800s. But now we've got the 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 internet has allowed people like me to get in touch with all sorts of people that I wouldn't otherwise be able to, and to share knowledge, to share information. It's been an absolute revolution, and I don't think back in the 1960s, 70s, 80s. Uh, there was any kind of consciousness that, that, that people like Savile would ever be revealed. Of course, when Savile died uh, in 2011, the BBC ran a tribute that Christmas uh, uh, to Jimmy Savile. What a wonderful guy he, he was, even though they had been told um, by uh, an old colleague of mine, Liz McKean at Newsnight, that uh, Savile was uh, a paedophile and that they had interviews and they showed interviews to the Newsnight editor that they'd done with some of his victims. So, you know, th this... And, and yet, immediately, as soon as he was dead, the cover-up started. Jimmy Savile, what a wonderful guy, you know, even though the people who were putting those tributes out knew the guy was a paedophile. So this goes to show this is how the establishment tries to cover these things up. And it, they very nearly succeeded, Richie. They very nearly succeeded because it was September 2012, a year after he died, uh, that Miles Goslett, after a lot of personal effort, time and you know money put into getting his article about the uh, this the uh, Newsnight scandal with Liz McKean uh, together, he went round all of the newspapers in London, tried to get the story published. Nobody would have a, a listen. He went to see Private Eye. Private Eye wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. Oh, we think it's a load of rubbish. And so all these people are supporting not only the establishment, but a paedophile establishment. And he only finally got it published by the Aldi magazine in September 2012. So this is the chronology of the story actually coming out to the public. But get this. They absolutely want to keep a lid on all this, the money people I'm talking about. And they've got a lot of power. And there's a lot of people out there who will do stuff for money, whether it's a bribe or whatever. I was just hearing the other day, Richie, about a, a friend of mine who uh, he was he, he was a signatory on somebody's will. He said, oh, they came along, they offered me 30 grand to say it wasn't my signature. No way. You know? Yeah. Jesus. So, and he's, uh, because he's a, 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 a decent guy with, of integrity, he refused. Then he got... Uh, a threat to kill him through the post. Someone, a picture of someone 
pointing a, a handgun at him, you know, through the post for refusing to take the 30 grand bribe to say it wasn't his signature on somebody's will. This kind of stuff goes on all the time. The Metropolitan Police are busy knocking on people's doors saying, oh, you're having an illegal party in there during a lockdown. They're just s simply not up to the job. Or you don't uh, believe anyway. a man can be a woman or some bollocks like that. Oh, yeah, you know, no pun intended. It, it, yeah. Yeah, it's run by idiots, basically, people who are just jobs worth, and they're promoted because they're jobs worth. But anyway, May 2014, Richard Ingrams, the editor of the Oldie magazine, is sacked. Now, remember, he was one of the original creators back in the 1960s of Private Eye, who was booted out when Hislop came along. And maybe I think it was may even have been somebody else. But anyway, to, so Private Eye was was ran for many years as a genuine satirical magazine. It's about time we had a new version of Private Eye, basically. Then there was a, an, another magazine, someone else who used to write for it, uh, Simon Regan, put out a magazine which was also brilliant called, uh, what's it, Scallywag, that's right. Um, and he died. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, he was getting old anyway. But, but the fact of the matter is, Ingram's uh, is sacked. So the only person who dared to publish the facts about Savile ended up out of his... Amazing, So nobody could ever go to him again to publish anything again about paedophilia. By the way, there's just a brilliant book just out about Dolphin Square by the ex-MP Simon Danshuk. So if there's anybody uh, listening... I interviewed Simon. I must, get, I must get back in touch with him. Well, he's, it's called Scandal at Dolphin Square. It's just out. And you know what? Private Eye have done a hatchet job on it. What a load of rubbish, they say. No way, well, have they? That tells you... Go and read the book. Uh, and in fact, I interviewed Mark Watts last week, who was at the um, um, the trial of Nick, for example. He's been following this stuff for years. So it's called The Scandal at Dolphin Square, A Notorious History, Simon Danchuk and Daniel Smith. So there are people writing books. There are people getting stuff out. But it's extremely difficult to get it into the news. Of course The it news is. almost seems to be sort of sealed up. And Here's a I theory. Can I give you a theory? Because I'm looking yeah. at the clock because we have to stop at six. Go for it. Well, yeah, look, when, for I, it. when I'm back after Easter, we'll, we'll do a much longer show. We will on this because this is hugely important as well as it's being interesting. It's not away. You no, no, it won't go away. I have a theory. So I might lose some listeners by saying this, but I don't mind because <laughs> it's, it's a theory. It's how I feel. Um, I don't have any time for the royal family. I'm an Irishman, but it's not because of my Irish you know, heritage and because of my Republican uh, beliefs. It isn't. I just don't have any time for royalty, no matter where they are in the world. And I know that these families, you know, I know what happened in the Middle Ages and, and later the, you know, the breeding with the wealthy families of the world and the control. I know all about that. I don't like them. And I want to say this. I don't believe that Prince Charles is a paedophile. I don't believe that. Now, on other you know, I think less professional podcasts and stuff where people just say whatever they want without giving any care or consideration to ethical broadcasting. They'll say things like, all the royals are pedos. I don't believe Prince Charles is a paedophile. And I'll be hammered for saying this. I might be wrong. I believe that Charles was, was abused by Louis Mountbatten. I believe he's a yeah, victim. I agree with you, yeah. I believe he's a victim. I don't believe, and I hate this thing that, you know, paedophile victims or, or domestic abuse victims, they, they go on to be abusers. I don't believe that at all. Um, and, and I, but, but I wonder if the abuse suffered by Charles, uh, if I'm right, from Mountbatten, if that plays any part at all in his relationship with Savile. It sounds stupid what I've just said there, but well, no, it I doesn't. don't know. No, you're, well, I think you're, you're absolutely on the money. Uh, I reckon that the royals for centuries have used paedophilia as a, basically as a blackmail technique. 
uh, and that they've encouraged uh, people like Savile to hang around so that uh, they can, well, once people are compromised by, you know, being involved with somebody like Savile, maybe taking a girl from him, a man, a boy, yeah. whatever, um, and then all of a sudden they're extremely useful politically, aren't they? That You can promote them up through the system. You can be their best friend. And, of course, it's not just Savile that Charles has been um, very supportive of over the years. It's also uh, the Bishop of Gloucester. He was jailed as a paedophile. Prince Charles was one of his best friends. Uh, of course, Charles's main residence, Highgrove, yeah, is in right, Gloucestershire. Yeah. And, uh, and he was writing letters all the time to the court, which I don't think he's really allowed to do, saying this guy's a fantastic play. He was doing character references for this bishop, paedophile. You know, who, you know, so this is something which I think he believes he's above the law, basically, which is very dangerous. I think also cannot talk about Charles without Diana. Uh, I mean, I think he's got a horrific vendetta against anybody that helped Diana during her lifetime. For example, Martin Bashir has been yeah. horrifically attacked over the last couple of years simply for doing his job as a journalist and getting her thoughts out to the public, which she desperately wanted to do, and she was very pleased to do. And yet he's been blamed for it, Richie. And I think ultimately where this all leads, you know, is where the Queen dies. Is this guy going to take over? God's sake, I help, hope not. Well, some people um, don't believe that he will. A very good friend of mine who was uh, in her time a brilliant journalist, Jean Anne Crowley. Jean Anne doesn't believe this guy will ever take the throne. But you've given me reason now to think that I'm wrong about Charles, you see. I just, I just don't know. No, here, I don't here, can, I, can I just say this? Fine. This is going to shock you. It won't, it might shock you. You have to see this documentary because... At so, it looks like that at one time, at one time, it looks like Diana was fairly fond of Savile. Well, okay, so she probably didn't know anything about the guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he was very much, you know, he's in the know. She was an outsider in the royal family, wasn't she? Yeah. She definitely wasn't an insider. She was the sort of person that wanted, she believed she could change the royal family for the better. But, I mean, I, I am particularly concerned about the way things are going, particularly with this... Uh, you know, uh, you know, war potentially in Europe, in the Middle East. And I just want to say one thing, Richie, because I've got to go soon. And I think as it's Easter, I always think this is a propitious time of the year. Do try and visit your local church at some point or don't try. Just do it. A non-conformist church, go to high church, something like that. And I'm not talking about going in and ingratiating yourself to the clergy. Have a chat to the congregation the other people in the church over Easter, and see what Easter is really all about. Because, of course, it's a Jewish festival and it's a Christian right. festival. Uh, but when it comes to war, which I do think is coming in Ukraine, uh, one of my analysts said it's going to be another never-ending war in Ukraine because NATO will pour everything in there. The Russians will never be able to extract themselves. And I think there's some truth in that. Albert Pike is the man. This guy in the 1800s, predicted three world wars. The First World War, which was uh, in order to destroy the Ottoman Empire and get the British Empire into the Middle East, uh, into the Holy Land. The Second World War, to create the State of Israel. And a Third World War, which was going to be a massive clash of religions, that is to say the Muslim and the Zionists, to have a massive fight. And the point of the whole thing was to discredit the faiths. And that was Albert Pike. He was a pretty dodgy guy, the Grand Master of Scottish Rite Freemasonry in the United States, and a kind of 
you know, he was the kind of Henry Kissinger of his day. Of his so time, he yeah. was the he was the wise man. Kissinger now is the wise man. He says, "Oh, I think maybe we've gone too far." But this is what the Bilderbergers always do. They are always one step ahead, saying, "Oh, I'm not so sure about this," but really they're behind it in the first place, rather like Prince Charles. Tony, um, thanks for coming on today. Happy Easter to you and your family, folks. Do me a favor: go to Amazon.co.uk, go to thisweek.org.uk, order a copy of the Traitors no, of Ireland. Not Amazon. Sorry, Richard. Is it not Amazon? Amazon of- Amazon have completely cut me they've out. Kicked, completely. They've kicked it out, haven't so they? So it's Bilderberg. Me. If anyone is interested Bilderberg. in the research, Org. the research I've done uh, between the deals being done during the end of the Second World War, that's the last year of the war, between Desmond Morton, who was Winston Churchill's private secretary, and Martin Borman. 25 seconds, Adolf, T. I'm... Adolf Hitler's private secretary. Bilderberg.org, you'll find the links and you can buy it on eBay, 15 quid a go. The Traitors of Ireland, Bilderberg.org, it's brilliant, I've got a copy here. Happy Easter, pal, thanks. Bye for now, the great Tony Gosling, live on the Richie Allen Show. Not the BCFM Politics Show is live at five o'clock every Friday. His guests are amazing. It's long-form interviews at their best. Five o'clock on Fridays, thisweek.org.uk or Bilderberg.org. Our pal Tony Gosling, thanks again to him. You're with the Richie Allen Show, live uh, from Salford this Thursday, April 7th. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. Yes, I'm being very tight today with the time because I do want to read some of your comments and Melissa Shumay will be with me momentarily in a few minutes' time. I'm looking forward uh, to hearing her as much as I was looking forward to hearing Tony. Uh, Fabrizio says the BBC is reporting eight new nuclear reactors being built in the UK. That's right. Uh, Boris Johnson doing the rounds of Hinkley Point today, talking about the new nuclear reactors and saying that we must never be dependent on energy coming from Russia ever again. Um, That's interesting, of course. Richard Kelly says, I doubt if the Queen is still alive. Faisal asks the question. He's put a meme up there as well. Who calls the shots at Private Eye to cover up Jimmy Savile? and has often been belittling historic child abuse investigations on TV. One has to ask oneself why, asks Faisal. And listen, you can hammer me for my comments on uh, the heir to the throne. I don't like these people. I think the Queen is a monster. I think her dead husband, the Duke of Edinburgh, is was a monster. I think they did some heinous things. I'm very interested in things that happened in a school, uh, Kamloops, is it, in British Columbia back in the, was it in the 50s or 60s? I have no time for these people. But you have to call it the way you see it. And I wonder about Mountbatten and Charles. I really do. Louis Mountbatten, by the way, is the man blown up by the IRA, in case you're wondering. Off the coast of um, Cork, was it? Kerry? I know the answer to that, but my mind is all over the bloody... A place today. Chris reckons Tony is right to lay out the rationale behind the intervention by Putin, but he says you, Richie, are also right at the same time. Russia does seem signed up to all the build back better New World Order order stuff. Thanks for that, Chris. Hi to Dolores. Hi to Tony. Hi to Bren. To Pandora. Jenny says it's strange how we didn't hear any of this about the United States.
States when they destroyed Iraq, Libya and Syria, amongst other places. You'd think the US had never invaded anyone, rather than 70 countries since the end of the Second World War. Thanks, Jenny. The US didn't invade Syria, I know exactly what you mean, but it funded, armed and trained through Saudi Arabia the lunatic head choppers that did invade Syria. You're absolutely right to say that. The time is four and a half minutes past the hour. Uh, hi to Scaramouche, who says, Ukrainian botsman boys implicated for those atrocities, he says there. Hi to Alan. Uh, hi to Red Green. No chance on YouTube uh, highlighting this problem with the schools in Scotland. Uh, I have asked, oh, this is something else, another conversation. There you are. You see, I don't get the chance to pre-read the comments, and you're having chats amongst yourselves. Amarose says, speaking of Scottish place names, my son and his friend made this sign and stuck it on a lamppost at the village near us. It says Willie twinned with T-W-A-T-T. Willie twinned with twat in the beautiful Orkneys. The, the locals weren't very impressed. Yes, Willie, as in W-I- Double L-E-Y is a real village, presumably, somewhere in Scotland. Thanks for that. And a number of you commented on the gentleman Finn, the MP in Victoria in Australia, who read aloud schoolwork given to her 10-year-old daughter, schoolwork or casework or whatever you want to call it, where the school asked the young girl, the daughter, to go back home and ask her father to talk about erections and ejaculations, file it under... I was going to say you just couldn't make it up. Find it under what the bloody hell is going on. The Richie Allen Show is live from Salford. I'm Richie Allen. Back in a moment with Melissa Shumay. Thanks for being with me. Rudy, don't fail on the Richie Allen Show. The time is coming up for nine and a half minutes past six. Thanks for being with me. We're into the second hour of the programme, April 7th, 2022. Huge interest in my next guest. When she was on with me last, about three or four months ago, massive reaction to it. She is an academic and investor, and she did some terrific videos about why she feels the last two years happened, what was really going on, the real reasons for vaccine mandates and lockdowns. Brilliant stuff, really. We will, of course, put links out to those on Podomatic, on iTunes, on Spotify a bit later on. Let's just welcome back to the programme, Melissa Shumay. Melissa, thanks for coming back. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for inviting me, Richard. Uh, thrilled to have you back. Really am. And I meant it when I said massive interest in it, when I mentioned earlier in the week you were coming back. And when I, when I dropped you a message, um, you said to me, Richie, currency wars. When you're looking yes. at Ukraine and Russia, NATO, this is about currency. Tell us a bit more. What's going on? Well, what I, how I see it is it's... Uh, a war of BRICS nations against the WEF nations. The BRICS nations are the ones that have all the gold. The, Russia de- started to de-dollarize in June of 2020, completely de-dollarized pretty much in June of 21. Um, so they have moved into 23% of their reserves would be now in gold. But 13% of their reserves would be in yuan. They are trading with China. In February 4th of this year, there was a deal between 
China. It was a gas deal between China and Russia, and that was made in euros, which was significant um, because it was neither beneficial. The Chinese couldn't manipulate the euro and Russia couldn't manipulate the euro. So it's dealing outside of the dollar. This is an attack on the dollar as reserve currency. Um, Russia is being quite successful with this attack. My guess is that they would have predicted the sanctions. The sanctions, well, Europe needs Russia as a supplier. Russia does not necessarily need Europe. Over, I think, nearly 50, about 55% of Europe's uh, energy is imported. About 40% of that comes from Russia. Yeah. So with these sanctions, they're destroying their own economies. They're destroying their own economies. And mm-hmm. we, you, you and I know from, from talking to people on shows, from listening to people, from reading people online, the squeeze is already hitting people pretty hard in this part of the world, isn't it? Well, this is the thing. Money creation is inflation. The consequence is higher prices. Monetary policy tends to track about 12 to 18 months. There's 12 to 18 months lag. The inflation that we're seeing now is due to the money creation that happened at the beginning. But when you now put in these sanctions, we we are already in what I would call superinflation. Um, I know that they're coming out with their smaller numbers where... Realistically, we're in, we're definitely in double digits, maybe thirteen to fifteen percent. So I would call that superinflation. We could be in danger here of tipping into hyperinflation. The longer this goes on, the more in danger we are of tipping into hyperinflation because you're putting supply issues on top of it. And when you put up the price of fuel, it's not just your car and your home heating; it's the price of everything because everything requires energy to be produced. So the price of absolutely everything is going up. And then you look at um, Russia's, I think it's 30% of all the wheat um, globally comes from Russia. Um, You have Ukraine pretty much shut down, a huge supplier. So these commodities are going to be in scarcer supply. So that's further going to increase the inflation. So anybody who has savings in the bank for every, first of all, for every pound that's or euro, dollar, whatever is created, everyone that's in existence is worth less. Then when you put supply on top of that, your purchasing power is decreasing rapidly in any savings that you have in the bank. And people need to be aware of this. They're not be, This isn't being discussed at all. It isn't. I will ask you in a moment, Melissa, what people might think about doing about that. But before that, mm-hmm. the hyperinflation, how mm-hmm. bad... Could that go? I don't want to depress the audience. I don't want to scare them. But in terms of, you know, talking about real consequences for people, how bad are you talking about losing everything? Houses, people losing houses, cars, jobs. Well, hyperinflation would be 50% month over month. It's only ever going to be a short term um, thing. In terms of people with their houses, their savings were being, inflation is bad for savers, good for those who have um, any assets because your assets going to track the inflation and great for those who are in debt. The issue then is in order to stem the inflation, they're going to start putting up the interest rates. That's for me when people might be in danger of losing their house. 
not so much from the inflation because the, the asset price of their house until this bubble, this debt bubble that between the stock market, the bond market and the property market is doomed to pop. But until until that pops, um, there won't be a deflationary period. So your assets will continue to inflate. But it, you might want to look at getting a long-term fixed interest rate on your mortgage. That way, you know that you can service the debt. Long-term fixed interest rate. That's really, mm-hmm. really... I, I heard somebody else who I trust recently say that. Melissa Shumay is our guest. So you talk about deflation. Now, when I announced you were coming on, I, I, I genuinely received quite a few emails with questions. One of them, these are scared people now. I'm scared. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot. You know, we, well, we, don't we, be scared. Be prepared. Be prepared. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we have a house with a very small mm-hmm. mortgage. We're very lucky. We own most of the house. We're lucky, right? Mm-hmm. Um. But 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 I do worry about it. I worry about not being able to buy food. I worry about not being able to pay other debts. Folks said to me, a number of them, does Melissa believe that at some point in the near future, with things getting as bad as they are, that a bail-in is a possibility in this part of the world? And just for our listeners who've never heard the term before, um, think Cyprus. As a bail-in is when the government says, listen, we're going to take a portion of everyone's savings in the country, of their assets, in order to pay a debt that the government says it can't pay. What do you think, Melissa? I think there will there will be a rebellion should they um, be forced to do bail-ins. Um, for me, I would expect bail-ins to be more in conjunction with the introduction of central bank digital currency. Right. You are, people believe that they are insured, but if you look who's insuring the insurer, you're actually only 1% is insured. So in terms of a bail-in, what people need to realise is that money that you have in your bank, you people believe that that's their money. It's not. Um, there's no legal term for a bank deposit. Technically, you have loaned the bank that money, so therefore the, the bank owns the money. And should there be a bail-in, you will be given shares of an insolvent bank. There's a possibility that the government, if there's a switch over, well, central bank digital currency is, for me, inevitable. That's their new plan. So it's just a matter of when it's coming in. I would expect it to be in within the next 12 months. So my guess is that they will just switch you over. You're kidding me. You think it could be as soon as within the next year? I think that it'll start to be rolled in within the next um, 12 months, yeah. We see, because we're seeing, Melissa Shumay is our guest. She's an academic and an investor. She knows what she's talking about. Um, you'll find her on Twitter. Um, if you put her name, it's C-I-U-M-M-E-I. Um, look, brand new tube, bit shoot. You'll see her videos. They're very, very good. Very well, well-made videos. You've got me there now. I know that around here in Salford, I meet seniors particularly who say they're devastated at the disappearance of banks. Uh, post offices are disappearing all over the place. And a lot of places, and this is against the law, but they're getting away with it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it isn't against the law. You'll tell me, Melissa. But but increasingly, more and more places are saying, sorry, we don't take cash. It's card only. It's not actually against the law. Is it not? They can, they can accept um, crayons if they want. It's only if they, they can't refuse. Say it's petrol and or a meal that you have already um, consumed. Then they can't refuse to take legal tender. But prior to the point of sale, um, they have to take legal tender. When you have consumed it, it becomes a debt, You've and they have me. to um, they have to accept it. So yeah, I'm I'm finding that increasingly for me, the solution is to boycott these businesses. They're acting as agents for the government, 
and they don't realize the implications on themselves. If you consider that um, the trillions of debt, um, well, after World War II, um, how did they get out of the debt? Well, they taxed people at over 90%. With central bank digital currency, this being programmable money, they ha- them having full access, it's individual monetary policy, they can tax you at will. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. You cannot withdraw. There is withdraw. no physical withdrawal from the bank. There's only the possibility of buying assets, but they can also program your money that you're not allowed to buy certain assets. So they can program your money that you're not allowed to buy gold. Well, it's come. individual monetary policy, which is terrifying. Yeah, the rules-based currency. You, you, you spoke to me about this last time you were on. Whoever owns the currency or controls it makes the rules. Melissa mm-hmm. Shumay is our guest now. We might come back to that. So this currency war then, um, is it brinksmanship, you know, between, say, the, the, the Russia and China, uh, the BRICS countries, and mm-hmm. and the rest, you know, the Great mm-hmm. Reset countries or, or the World Economic Forum countries? Mm-hmm. Is it a game of brinksmanship to see who collapses first? For me, they know that the currency is in a race to the bottom. Every fiat currency um, has failed. The average fiat currency lasts 27 years. So they're aware that there's a race to the bottom in terms of currency. So the war is to see who comes out on top. And what I have said before is um, data is a new gold, energy is a new currency, energy and commodities are the new currency. Russia is particularly rich in commodities, as is China, as are the BRICS nations. So they are pushing to be the leading reserve currency or basket of currencies. They're now pushing a war to come out of that leading the way. For me, I would say that um, Putin's hand was absolutely forced um, into this. And like I say, um, it wouldn't be difficult for the sanctions to be um, predicted if he holds out the West. It will collapse the economies here because without the energy, if you think particularly Germany, there's no production. The economies will collapse. Can I ask you this? I don't believe there's any good guys. No. Or, or good girls. So well, it, go ahead. Central bank digital currency is already in China. Yeah. Um, it's it's coming into Russia. It's being um, pushed forward in Russia. So they're all working with central bank digital currency. Central bank digital currency is not in favour of the people. It's control. It's complete control over the people. The previous economy was based. It was a debt based economy. So the way it worked, um, the more debt you get into, the more money was created. So they had to have create in order to expand the economy, they had creative ways of creating more and more debt. It wasn't just mortgages, it was student loans, it was car loans, um, you could get a loan to buy a new kettle. More and more that that was how the expansion of the economy worked. That system failed in 2008 and has been in life support since then. Their new system is a system of credits. Um, and that's what is essential. That, that's why, for me, the passports, um, we know with the so-called health passports, they were about controlling your access to society because there was no evidence that it stopped you from getting it, to stop you from passing it on. So transmission wasn't a factor. So the only thing that they were functioning for is to control your access to society. If you um, were compliant, you got access to society. The new system will be social credits linked with carbon credits. It's not a pie in the sky um, conspiracy theory. You have no, it's true. Um, yeah. 
the MasterCard, MasterCard have come out and um, said that, well, they're working with um, central bank digital currency, but they have said that they will, literally on their sites, it cut, cuts off your spending when you've reached your carbon max. So the carbon credit system, if you look at Mark Carney, who's behind that, that's what they're pushing forward. Yeah. And that will be linked. So that would be your allowance. It's the energy crisis for me. Um, they're going to have to come up with alternative, and I don't mean green energy, possibly uranium. Um, yeah, nuclear, nuclear is a big thing, isn't it? Today, eight but new with, nuclear power yeah. stations announced for for the UK. But with both of them, they're hard to to monitor in terms of pricing, so it's easier to give you an allowance for them. How do you mean it's um, it's it's difficult to monitor in terms of pricing? Um, it's it's not not as easy to meter. So oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well said. So it would be easier to give you an allowance. Yeah. Than to meter you for it. So this is for me the West's way out of it because they do not ha- they're not rich in these commodities, so they need to figure out something that they are rich in for the new economy that is going to emerge out of this. The fiat currency is in decline. Um, I don't see that it could last. Well, I think actuarially we have to 2028, which is my guess behind the agenda 2030. So by 2030, this current fiat currency will be gone. But my guess is that they will be bringing it in within the next 12 months. And within then 12 months? Universal, universal basic income. And then they'll kind of step it up you know, across society. Melissa Shumay is our guest. She's an, an academic and an investor. I believe what she's saying is true. And I can hear in your voice, even though you've said this so many times in the last couple of years particularly, that you're still a little incredulous. You, you know it's coming and it is happening, but I can hear in your voice, Melissa, that uh, not, 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 not being funny at all, but that it's startling. This, this is startling to be considering this, isn't it? It is. And, and people, they're talking about anything but this. There's nobody talking about no. um, the currency war. It's just more and more sanctions. If you even look at um, Hungary uh, with Orban, because he's standing with Putin, there's more sanctions being put up against him. So there's a fracturing of Europe happening right now. Everything is falling apart because there is the realisation that it really is down to um, commodities and what you have and that's even that's on a global basis on a country basis um, but even on a personal basis people need to think in terms of possession of what they have rather than numbers in a screen or paper or um, any virtual yeah. or currency or anything like that they really need to start thinking right now because I think it came out in Germany that the expectation is for food prices in supermarkets to be going up 50% within the next um, month to few, few months. So my advice is anything that you think that you're going to need in the next 12 months, buy it now, because you're going to get an excellent return on that with inflation. So if it's gone up 50%, well, that's your return. That's your financial return. Imagine that. So if you you think you will need something in the next year to 18 months, mm-hmm. something for your home, something for yourself, for your health, Excuse me, now's the time to buy it. Yep. Do it now. Mm-hmm. As expensive as it might be now, it's just going to get worse and worse, so buy it now. And what about people who might say, look, Melissa, I don't have a house, I rent, but I do, someone in their 40s, I do have, say, mm-hmm. 
I have no idea now what the average savings is in the UK. But someone says, I've got five grand in the bank. I've been working for 25 years. I have five grand. Obviously, they're not getting anything you know, mm-hmm. from the bank. They're not getting anything back. The money isn't earning anything. It isn't earning interest. Um, putting you on a spot, you don't have to answer this. What, what might they think about doing with the five grand? Have you just what? given me the answer? Buy things they what? need. Anything tangible, anything, yeah. first of all, anything that you think you're personally going to need in the next 12 months. If you have savings, you should never really save long term in a fiat currency. It is a Ponzi scheme. They have to keep on creating more currency to pay off the debt. So you're always losing money. Um, precious metals, particularly gold, are um, gold is the it's a safe haven asset and a hedge against inflation. But it can it's like I think around fifteen hundred pounds an ounce. Um, but silver is one of the most undervalued assets. Um, in fifty two weeks, it hasn't increased in an increasing market. Heavily manipulated, both silver and gold are heavily manipulated. Heavily manipulated markets. Not a conspiracy theory. JP Morgan will find nine hundred and twenty million for manipulating the market. But if I could tell people to buy one thing to hold in savings, if they didn't have much money about them, I would suggest um, silver. And are you talking physical silver? Physical. Or tra- physical. physical silver, yeah. Right. I, I ask that all the time because I never know. Because listeners get in touch and they say, is your guest recommending I, you know, I buy it, the, the, the online version of it or whatever, the virtual well, version? Well, what I see happening with, um, in terms of gold, Russia, I think since 2004, have been backing their currency in gold. Um, you see now that the US, UK and Japan are trying to s- sanction against anybody with Russian gold because there is the possibility that, well, they already have pegged, um, they've pegged the ruble um, to gold, um, 5,000 ruble for um, an ounce of gold. So they already have done that. Russia, as I said, 23% of their reserves. China have 20% in gold. So there's the possibility for a new basket of currencies as the reserve with gold possibly being added to that basket to um, anchor it. So you also have that option with gold. But you have thousands of years um, of gold being a safe haven asset. So it is, it's the it's the one that people run to for safety in terms of collapse. Yeah, I've heard it a few times over the years. Investors have come on the programme, various. I remember years ago, I used to do a a, 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 a bi-monthly. No, no, it was a bi-weekly. Every, I should say fortnightly. What's wrong with me? I used to do a fortnightly show with a, a guy who, I think he still works for RT, Max Kaiser. Now, some of my listeners might not like him. I, yes. I haven't seen him for years. But I used to do a regular thing with him and he, he would always recommend that people buy physical gold. Melissa Schumay is our guest. Can we just just for a moment talk about politics? To your understanding, is there a single government anywhere in the world, Central America, South America maybe, um, where there are politicians actually working against this or trying to fight back against it? I've not come across one. Have you? No. No. And it's our fault. We get the government we deserve. Do you know, you say that and I agree with you, but at the same bloody time, the House hands you up two choices, doesn't it, every time? Two choices controlled by the House. Well, it's the illusion of choice. The illusion of choice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you, and you say to people, well, how do you combat that, you know? I suppose you create an entirely different system. 
Um, but well, you know that's I, it. There's the shadow government running everything. Call it the elites or yeah. um, whatever, but that, that's who's running everything. How do you convince people of that, Melissa? I've been doing this game. I've been at this game since 2009. I, uh, excuse me, 2010. I have no idea. I've, I've, I've done well, it Well, if the lockstep of COVID didn't convince anybody how every country locked down in sync, if that didn't convince people, um, I don't know how you convince would. them after that. Even yeah. China. I, I, I made some bullet points with you coming back today. What's going on in Shanghai? If you'd have said to me, if we'd have met four years ago and we were talking about money and, and finance and you said to me, they'll be taking children away from their parents, they'll be dragging people out of their homes, asymptomatic people, and taking them to, you know, makeshift um, wards and cramming them in, I'd have said, give over, Melissa. And yet it's happening. And I'm going to ask you, do our governments want to do that eventually? Is that the sort of power our governments want over us, what's happening in China? Well, when you look at, um, in the UK, the laws that they are bringing in, um, it's quite possible. Um, people were in favour of the economic crime bill. Yeah. Um, it was brought, brought in under the guise of Russian oligarchs. But where does that end? Um, you know, you can be, when they link that to say you have the online harms bill, um, the telecommunications and security bill here, um, where they can decide what is dangerous information on the internet doesn't have to be lawful and then the reform of the human rights where it can be for the greater good well you'd look at how the vaccination program was projected you know it was um save others yeah when there was absolutely no evidence ever that there was any group benefit to people taking part in this clinical trial it was purely um if you felt that you were vulnerable that you would take it, that you you'd done a risk-benefit analysis. Turns out people didn't do a risk-benefit analysis. We know that now from the visor documents that were court-ordered to be released. Surely they should have been um, released so that people could make an assessment on their own personal health. But when you give up your medical autonomy, the sky's the limit for what you will give up. And they had to bring it in and frame everything under the guise of public health to get people to do it. The next move will be financial. So if you apply, if you frame everything in the um, from COVID and apply that to financial, the passports, the lockdowns, the access to society, that will be the central bank digital currency. That it will be a replay of that. Do you think that you mentioned there the online harms bill? Mm-hmm. It's my belief that. When the CB, uh, when the central bank digital currency is mm-hmm. is total, and cash mm-hmm. is gone, I think it might be at that time that people like you and people like me will be basically prevented from making programs like this and you doing your videos and writing Absolutely. as you do. Yeah. Well, the enemy of um, the narrative is open um, access to the information. If you think prior to the internet and both you and me were born before the internet. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> prior to the internet, they had control over the narrative. It was quite difficult to find out any other information. Um, it was Information was given out through radio, um, television and newspapers, and they had control and propaganda was rife. They still do, but 
with all this information on the media, you can go right to the source, like Robert Malone, the inventor of the technology. Or you can, if you um, are hearing of um, deaths in a certain village or a certain town, you can go and, or, or a war in that area, you can go and get real-time video footage on the internet. This is so dangerous for their narrative. Yeah. So they have to shut down this censorship. They have to sh- shut this down with censorship. We're already being censored. It started off with um, COVID. I um, I don't actually use Twitter because I know that I would be banned for it. I don't even start in it because I knew it would be banned for a minute in two minutes. Um, I You're put on a 30-day ban from Facebook for posting the nine pages of the court-ordered Pfizer documents. Yeah, just telling, the, well, just posting something that is true. That's yes. right, yeah. We can't see that. No, no, we don't want, the, the court did say, no, you can't lock those documents away for 75 years. You've mm-hmm. got to release them now. Uh, Melissa Shumay says, right, this is important. You post it and you get banned. Yes, which is Madness. a suppression of freedom of information by the part of social media. But that's that's the beginning of it. That's going to be throughout um, the internet. It's going to be everywhere. And it, it is. If you Google certain things, I mean, to this day, if you Google visor documents, you will not get those nine pages. Or um, that was who was it? The um, medical professionals for transparency that put in the freedom of information, public health and medical professionals for transparency that you will need to search for that and put that in directly to find that. So there is already huge censorship within Google. But it's going to get worse that we will possibly have you combine um, online harms with um, economic crime bill. We will be attacked for putting out that information as being dangerous, dangerous misinformation. It's a matter of time before it's economic misinformation. Yeah, it's it's good you brought it back again to the economic crime bill, because Mm -hmm. I did touch on this at the beginning of the invasion. You know, this horrendous, this awful reality that the UK government could denounce a businessman or a businesswoman, make claims that they support Vladimir Putin, which even if they did, I mean, most most people with money, they donate to the political candidate of their choice anyway. But to somehow try and, you know, tie in those people with what happened in Ukraine as if they had anything to do with it, which they didn't. And then, as you quite rightly said, Melissa, to seize their property, their houses, in some cases their yachts, it's absolutely sinister. And again, you wonder, why doesn't it filter down to people who don't have yachts and houses? Why doesn't it filter into their brains that, Jesus, they could do that to me in the future mm-hmm. if I'm a bad citizen? Well, you had something similar. There was um, a similar attack in Canada. And you also had yeah. um, Biden stealing seven billion of Afghan funds. He froze um, seven seven half billion from the Afghan central bank, and that was he froze the money of citizens, civilians. So it is it's it's happening, and it's a matter of time. It's no different than what I was trying to explain with the passports that it's. It's a matter of time before your light turns from green to red. Yeah. All of these will filter down because if you think that um, taxes were originally only brought in for the wealthy. So it's a matter of time before all of these filter down onto us. And if you say the wrong thing, it will be like a Chinese um, credits or social credit system where you've said the wrong thing. There's sanctions placed against you. There's fines. There's that you're not allowed to participate in certain things to control um the population and without 
with central bank digital currency, there is total control is a possibility. It's game over, it. isn't it? A recent yeah. guest said to me that if it gets to that, well, there's very little we can do. Melissa Shumay is our guest. I believe that in order for them to get what they want, the the whole notion that man-made CO2 is going to destroy the planet, That's I think that's a major, major pillar, not, not just of the narrative, but in convincing people. And you know those youngsters, and I genuinely feel sorry for them. I take the mickey out of them on my website and I do it on the programme. I, I genuinely feel sorry for them, the ones who believe that they can't have children because this world is ruined. And you see them crying in Kent in these oil depots and stuff, just just stop oil or whatever. Those people who are being, I believe they're being, they're being attacked psychologically at university, go back to college, go back to primary school even. They're being, they're being absolutely hammered with this psychological warfare that the world might come to an end. I think too, I've gone a long way to make my point. Simply, well, it's a good way to control business. Yes, you, there yes. really is a carbon offset market. Yes, yes. It's just, it's, it's, as I say, if, if we pay more taxes, it'll cool yeah. down the planet. It's just another way to control business. And there's a massive market now emerging. And it's not that, um, you know, you can still run your um, business that it's not energy efficient. You just have to um, go to someone who has planted trees and say, um, hey, you've saved all this carbon. Um, can I buy the right to pollute from you? Yes, <laughs> yes, which is already it's already happened. That's mm-hmm. been happening in recent years. It's anyway. their move towards yeah. um, a new economy. They want a circular economy. Yeah, and so Melissa, that's the what point they're moving towards. Uh, and the point I was making about the the youngsters is is that the horrible things you talked about there, the social credit system. You know mm-hmm. the. The, the central bank digital currencies where you get punished for not doing this or not doing that. I think the generation three or four generations, let's say two generations behind us, they'll embrace this. I don't think they'll stand up to it. I think there will be a generation that does embrace it. But if you look at what's happening in China right now, China, because it, it's not when you suppress to that degree, there's suppression of thought and then there's no ingenuity. So that's why. China's only capable of replicating. They're not creators. They're not inventors. Because there's suppression of thought along with that. Because you're near afraid to think or come out with something new because of sanctions. Um, now in China, with um, the youth are kind of getting a little bit reluctant to go out to work. Because there's so much pressure put upon them with the one-child policy they're now responsible for um, an aging generation. So they just, there's so much weight on their shoulders that they've, they've almost given up. So my guess would be the next generation will be the generation of rebels that will stand up to it, but it will possibly take. And the issue right now is that um, this is going to go one of two ways um, because they do have, they have the technology. Now, if you combine um, central bank, digital currency with artificial intelligence they have um the ability to enslave us for um a very long time if not i don't know i don't know how you would get out of that um or we can um decentralize decentralize everything decentralize government decentralize um money and lift humanity out of this slave system. Right now, they're perfecting a slave system. 
So it's going to go one or two ways. Either there is going to be a revolution and a decentralization and a move away from um, the globalist agenda, or we will be enslaved for many generations to come. And in the meantime, people need to prep. I, I had a prepper mm-hmm. phone one of the, well, In fact, I did a show, I did a phone in show, and I asked people to tell me where they're prepping. We got hammered with calls, people calling in from all over the world. And Richie, I can't believe you're not doing it. Yeah, we're prepping. We're doing some of the things you suggested earlier on. And um, I, was, I was just absolutely amazed to hear what people are doing. Clever people, smart, articulate people phoning well, in. Well, food. Food, yeah. It's very important to prep food. We know right now that there's going to be supply issues. I mean, it's, again, not a conspiracy theory. Biden and Macron have come out and um, admitted that there's going to be food shortages, orchestrated or not, it's still a shortage. So um, in terms of precious metals, I don't think they're going to taste very good. So you do need to have um, definitely a storage. And if you have the um, the ability to do it, to start to grow your own food, it doesn't have to be dramatic and, you know, the end of the world. Look upon it as a new hobby. Um, it's more difficult than you think. Um, I have said this, what I've told people is that it, consider it like an insurance. So if you know that there's supply issues, um, you know that... Um, Ukraine is the breadbasket to Europe, or well, then at least have a stockpile. You have insurance for your house, you have insurance for your car. You don't get anything back at the end of it. At least if you buy in food, um, you can give it to a food bank if it's coming to expiry date. So it will still be used, but definitely um, not a crazy um, thing to do. It's It's better to be prepared for what's happening right now. Me. I agree with you. I'm going to ask you one final question today and uh, I'd like to get you back um, in a few weeks time for a longer chat about yeah. some of this stuff, some of the specifics that I really like listening to you. It's matter of fact and I know you've done your homework. Melissa Shumay is our guest. Um, you don't have to answer this but I, I'm curious as to at what point and this is not, I'm not trying to get your age at all so don't, so don't think I am. Uh, at what point in your life did you they just start to think something is very wrong with the way the world is and how it works. I think I come out of the womb question and everything. <laughs> Did you? You were a, con- <laughs> a contrarian I was like from that birth. As a child. It's, um, <laughs> right. I was one of them why childs, and that, that's the thing right now. The world is near being, um, you know, in terms of those who haven't been um, taking part in the clinical trial. We are the why ones. We're so the why like, ones, yeah. It's a, we're like, we're the two-year-olds. Why? No. So um, yeah. I think I was just like that as a child. So you came out as a in contrarian, terms, but there must have been a time when you thought that this was happening, this reset. Well, I think 9-11 was the time was that it? everybody kind of tuned in to, wait a minute, Yeah. let, let me let me take, I know there's stuff going on, but I need to have um, a greater look at this. And then for me then, the 2008 collapse, um, it was figuring out how how are they keeping this going? And they never fixed anything. They kind of kicked the can down the road and now they're out of road. So that's when I really started going into it. The more the, it's not conspiracy theory, it's conspiracy fact. Because if you even look, there's an admission, um, conspiracy theory um, was a CIA term um, around. JFK, the, um, wasn't it? JFK, yeah. which now has been declared as fact. So um, we know there was, um, well, 9-11 is a completely different topic to go into, but that's kind of, that's where 
I really pricked up my ears and said, I need to know what's going on in the world because there's something going on that's going to be very dangerous moving forward. To my um, eternal shame, on the day itself, I was working at WLRFM in Waterford. And as the talk producer, my presenter and I took over the schedule for the rest of the afternoon. We told the uh, DJs to stick around and help out because we were going to take over and speak to people in New York. So we all hands to the pump. To my shame, for days and days and days and even weeks afterwards, yeah, I reported what you know what we were getting from AFP, mm. from Associated Press, from all of that. And I, I, I admit, and I will always admit, it never occurred to me until about two years later that something was wrong. And I, like you, was a white person, a contrarian. And for the life of me looking back, I can't understand how I fell for that then but I mean two years later I read a book and I was a bit embarrassed and then I looked into it a bit more but um, yeah I was one of those blaming the man in the cave in the Tora Bora Hills I mean my god like what was but I? that's why you should never judge anybody never. for not knowing what absolutely. they know because at one stage you didn't know what you absolutely. know now well said Melissa absolutely right R- remind our listeners where the best place to find you online is I am on Instagram and Facebook for, for now <laughs> We'll see how that goes. Um, I don't move to Telegram because for me, it's just an echo chamber. My purpose is to get the information out to people. So there's no point in getting out out to the people who are already aware. It's kind of to try and um, create an awareness in those that haven't a clue what's going on, but can see the inflation. Now, my lockdowns do work video was out um, just over a year ago. And um, I had spoke then about inflation and everything that was coming. And I got a lot of heated arguments with people who didn't believe that inflation was going to happen. But um, MMT, modern monetary theory, is now being um, disproven. And it's not hard. The only way out of this inflation is to increase interest rates. They can't increase interest rates because if they do, it'll collapse the markets because these markets are dependent on the debt. So they need to increase them enough to make it look like they're trying to do something, but not actually collapse the markets until they have their new systems in. Because if they collapse the markets, that's the pensions gone. And the markets are full of zombie companies anyway. They're not real. They're like a public utility. So that's when the crossover will be. If you see the markets collapsing, it means that they have lost control. And that's time to panic. Mm-hmm. Melissa is, uh, it's Melissa Shumay, so it's C-I-U-M-M-E-I. Find her on Facebook, find her on Instagram. Happy Easter, Melissa. And thanks Same for, to you. And thanks for coming on. I really enjoy speaking with you and I look forward to next time. Thank you. Good. Talk to you again, Richie. Bye, Bye. Melissa. That's uh, Melissa Shumay, brilliantly briefed lady, uh, academic and investor, talking about, and it's good to get some of the positive, what you can do, what you can think about doing as we, you know, approach hyperinflation in this uh, great reset kind of nightmare scenario that's unfolding in front of our eyes. Thanks again to Melissa there. The time is exactly 10 minutes to the top of the hour. You're with the Richie Allen Show for Thursday, the 7th of April, 2022. I'll read a couple of your comments as quickly as I can. Um, in about 30 seconds time, I've got to find them first. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. And thanks to everybody who's ever supported, not just the Richie Allen Show, but if you've ever supported anybody, like Tony Gosling, for example, like Melissa Shumay, uh, thank you. The guests who come on this programme who can 
analyse information. I'm not saying they're always right now, but they're very clever and they have a you know an alternative point of view on the big news stories of the day, and it's important whether you think they're right or not. And um, they're honest. It's important to support the independent media. It really is. Tony's book, The Traitors of Arnhem, which he kindly sent to me months and months ago, maybe even a year ago. It's a very good read. It's worth checking it out. And it kind of keeps him going because these people, they don't earn anything. There's nothing in it. It's very difficult in the independent media. Believe you me. I tried to get it advertising, didn't I, back in the day. And for a while we did not not okay, but we had we always had one or two advertisers on the go. But it's it's just impossible to get any advertising. Um, I've always depended on you, and I've depended on friends, and the friends know who they are, and people like Mark Boyarski, who's been very good over the years. So do support the independent media. I'm genuinely asking you that this Easter. So tomorrow, if you're reading something very good online, you could be at Paul Craig Roberts' website, and you find it useful and it's helpful. Throw him a couple of books. If you can. That's all I'm saying. And and when I say this, I mean it. If you can't, don't worry about it. I know times are getting very difficult. Support for this programme, I'm not complaining now. I am not complaining. Support for this programme is down a bit last uh, month. So, so what was last month? March and February. And I totally understand that. Because of the squeeze we were just speaking about a moment ago, Melissa Shumay and I. So I understand that. If you can't afford to support programmes like this, don't worry your head about it. I know, it's a very difficult time for people, I really do, it's horrible. Uh, Craig, thanks for your link to a Guardian article about climate change, I appreciate that, I'll I'll check it out. Uh, Darren says his concerns are that even though he does have a mortgage, financially, for our family, it it is a more financially viable option to have the mortgage than it is to rent. Because as with, with renting, with the cost of living increasing, what's to say that renting will spiral out of control until we are solely reliant on our governments and the future central bank digital currency enforcing our daily activities. That was our situation. We were spending, it was nearly £1,000 a month rent for us in Fallowfield, in University District, until we got the mortgage here in Salford, which is a fraction of the rent. We had to do that. I know that mortgages are fraudulent, but but what else could you do? I think we had the luckiest escape of our lives, I think. That's El Frogo and myself, because rents are going up and up and up and up, and we couldn't afford that. At £1,000 a month, there was nothing at the end of the month for myself and herself um, to go out for a meal. Um, We did make the occasional concert, but by God did we have to scrimp and save for that. You know? So, um, yeah, I know it's hard and I know it's going to get harder. And I don't like talking about it in one sense, depressing people. I know you come to the Richie Allen show, I know you come to have a laugh a lot of the time, to to laugh at the the lunacy of the media and the characters, you know, the players in in this Orwellian agenda. I don't like talking about it, the money side of it, because I know you're going through it. I know you are. Tracy says, my biggest question is what would we replace the elite with and their institutions? What would education, banking, medicine, media, food production look like? I want the elite gone, says Tracy, but I'm not sure how we'd rebuild everything. I would like to hear others' thoughts. Tracy, you have just decided the topic for the next phone-in after Easter when I come back after my 
my week off. That's going to be the next topic. How do we replace it? How does it work? Last time we did um, a single issue phone-in was about prepping. Next time we do a phone-in, it's going to be about that. Great question. How do we replace them? With what? Who's in charge after we get rid of them? Brilliant. Does anybody need to be in charge? Is it possible to function without someone being in charge, without committees, without law and order? Brilliant question, Tracy. That's what we're going to talk about on the next phone-in show. Brilliant stuff. Diane says, as soon as civilian firearms are banned by any state, you know you are in trouble. History shows this time after time. It's irrefutable, says Diane. Thanks, Diane. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I disagree with it. I don't know. I don't like guns. I've never fired one. And I will never own one. And I know there are listeners in the United States who think I'm naive and that I'm a silly old lefty. And you might be right. I might be very naive. In fact, I am naive from time to time. I'm well aware of it. And I'm certainly an old lefty. Uh, Guilty as charged. I can't stand. I can't stand guns. I'm horrified by them. You know, we lived in in Spain for over eight years. Never comfortable when the Guardia Civil would hang around the bars to make sure people were behaving themselves. I hate them. These semi-automatic weapons, these, these Glocks, these pistols. I hate guns. I'm scared of guns. If I ever saw anybody pull a gun, um, I don't know what I'd do. I don't like them. I'll never own one. Not me. Number of you came to me with questions for Melissa. Some of them I did ask, some of them I didn't, but I promise I'll copy and paste them and next time she's on, I will put those questions to her. Alrighty. Hey, listen, um, the next time you hear it from me will be Easter Sunday. That's a week on Sunday. I'm not doing Sunday Morning Melodies this Sunday because in about three and a half minutes' time, I'm on spring break. If you're, if you're new to the programme, I take a week off every April and I don't take another break until August. Right? So I'm off for the next week. I'm back on Easter Sunday morning for Easter Sunday morning melodies. That is the 17th of April, next Sunday week. Alrighty. And the Richie Allen show is back on the Tuesday after that, two days later, because Easter Monday is a bank holiday. So the Richie Allen show uh, returns on Tuesday, uh, the 19th, but Sunday morning melodies, Easter Sunday. That's the 17th, that's Easter Sunday. Uh, so join me for that. I'm looking forward to a few days off uh, because I deserve a few days off and because I'm a bit knackered now. But I also will be looking forward to coming back because when I am off, uh, the way my brain works, I'm thinking about coming back and what I'm going to do. But I'm looking forward to spending some time with El Frogo, Bobby Jean and Leah and not reading the newspapers and not thinking about anything to do with the Great Reset and all uh, the rest of that. Okay? Okay. Thanks for being with me uh, this week. Thanks to all my guests. Until we speak again, happy Easter, dear listener. Happy Easter. Take care of yourselves. See you soon. Bye now. Thanks to Melissa and to Tony.